Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My name is Efren Guzman, and my guest today, he is an activist, he's a communist, he's a law student, he's a jack of many trades. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Philip Arroyo. Philip, how are you this evening? Doing good. I'm doing good. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your radio podcast. I think it's just as important as any mainstream uh, news media, and I'm happy to be on the show. I definitely appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Um, you have so many accolades. It's like I don't even know how to introduce you. But um, what do you consider yourself? Because you have so many accolades that you've accomplished. Um, what, what do you call yourself? Well, um, I call myself Phil. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be the same guy uh, to my friends. Just, I think the best way to, and I don't like to talk about myself, but um, the best way I like to describe myself is, you know, I've been blessed to, uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm an ordinary guy blessed with extraordinary opportunity. And um, came from a lower middle class family, uh, son of a military man, grew up in um, Cato, North Carolina. Um, you have to come from an affluent or um, 
wealthy family to have these opportunities. I mean, I would have never thought I was going to have the opportunity to work in the White House, um, and I was able to do that. Um, but looking back, and I don't consider myself the most religious person, but I did grow up in a Catholic household like most Puerto Ricans you know, do. But um, looking back on my life, I've come to realize that all these experiences um, happen for a reason. You know, God works in mysterious ways, and I've come to realize um, that um, it's important to let mainstream America know about the truth uh, regarding Puerto Rico that has been untold, um, that has been excluded from the history books, and that is the unfair political treatment of the United States citizens in Puerto Rico who cannot vote for president of the United States, uh, don't have equal representation in Congress, and to this very day, um, U.S. Congress has turned their back on Puerto Rico when Puerto Rico is one of the, uh, in one of the deepest economic recessions in its history. And uh, after the United States has utilized the island, whether it be for corporate reasons, using the island as a corporate tax haven, or for military reasons, as they did with Vieques, which was bombed for over half a century, um, for that we were good. And now when we're um, in an economic recession, uh, the U.S. seems to have turned their backs on us. So it's something we're fighting for. And I'd like to um, acknowledge uh, Congressman Jose Serrano from New York, from your area. Mm-hmm. Um, Luis Gutierrez from um, Illinois as well. Uh, and even the uh, resident commissioner from Puerto Rico, Pedro Perguisi, um, and many other leaders. Um, but I, I strongly believe that Puerto Rico's final political resolution uh, will actually be achieved from the mainland. Um, I, I really have lost hope with the political leadership on the island of Puerto Rico. Um, there's too many things involved there. You know, there's a lot of money involved, government contracts, and at the end of the day, Puerto Rico does not have any political power. Uh, so I believe that Puerto Rico's resolution in terms of its political dilemma would ultimately be resolved when the people who, of Puerto Rico who live in the mainland United States, which by the way, there's more Puerto Ricans living on the mainland than on the island, um, I, I believe that would be a more effective mechanism to, to make real change for Puerto Rico. You think um, a lot of Puerto Ricans in the states here are familiar with the things that are going on in Puerto Rico? Or you think we're just like, you know, like ignorance is bliss and we're not really, you know, we don't really know our history in, in that way of what's going on? Well, I, that's a very interesting question, um, at least from friends that I have, obviously, who are from Puerto Rican roots living here on the mainland, they seem to have that disconnect with the island. And it's an interesting um, situation because I had the opportunity to live during my elementary years in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in the South. Um, and then I moved to Puerto Rico, lived my teenage years, did my bachelor's degree in half of law school, and then I came back. And I've noticed that Puerto Ricans who have been raised, for example, in New York, where you're at, um, and have only visited the island for vacations, well, they seem to have that disconnect with the political parties, with the, you know, the, the political process. And quite frankly, uh, it's normal, because in the United States, something that I've always criticized is that, um, at least when I was going to school in elementary school, um, there's an 
known history books uh, provided in the public education system in the mainland that teaches students about how Puerto Rico became a U.S. territory, um, what was the process, um, why Puerto Ricans can't vote. You will never find that in any history books. And the reason is quite simple. There's going to be a kid that's going to raise his hand one day and say, wait a minute, you're telling me that you have 3.5 million American students on the island of Puerto Rico who go to war for the United States and can't vote for the president? And when the teacher says yes, that kid's going to probably going to say, didn't we wage war against Great Britain because they were maintaining 13 colonies and that's why we fought for independence? So it's kind of a contradiction of what our nation stands for. And it's quite embarrassing. Um, so when I came back from Puerto Rico and I'd been here in Florida for a year, I confronted uh, discrimination. I confronted ignorance. I confronted rejection because I'm Puerto Rican. Wow. And that's something I never experienced when I was on the island because on the island you don't live those types of things. Mm-hmm. But here in the South, you know, I, I've always been a history buff. So I always thought that, in the, you know, discrimination and everything was something of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with everything that's happening with Donald Trump calling Latinos racists and, you know, um, and other um, derogatory statements against Latinos. Um, and based on my experiences here in Florida, I, I, you know, I was intervened by the police um, simply because I had a Puerto Rican flag in my, in, in my car. What? And I've been able to live those experiences and my, um, my thought process and my opinion in terms of Puerto Rico's political status has evolved to a point that I believe it's time for Puerto Ricans to stand up and to courageously demand, not ask, demand uh, equal treatment under the American flag. And it's important to organize. Um, the best way to achieve social change in our nation is to organize. That's how we got Social Security. That's how we got Medicare. Um, that's how we got workers' rights. And the people in Puerto Rico, people, the Puerto Rican people who live on the mainland have to organize, have to create this movement to pressure U.S. Congress and the United States government to take action and either treat Puerto Rico equally under the American flag, same equal rights, same uh, voting and representation rights, or complete sovereignty as an independent nation. Yeah, there's so much stuff going on. But um, um, there's a question I want to get back to you about the Donald Trump situation. Um, the polls shows that there's a lot of people that agree with what Donald Trump says, and it's just fascinating to me because there's a lot of rhetoric what he talks about, and there's a lot of you can tell there's like you know the whole things where Jorge Ramos says a lot of I don't I don't know like I, I felt like he wanted to say you know go back to Mexico and the way he said it, go back to Univision there's a, the, the, there's there's so much it seems like there's so much hatred um what's your take on that situation you know what my, my personal opinion about Donald Trump is that he's a racist and he's quite frankly seeing 
um, everything that a lot of people in America unfortunately think, mm-hmm. and he's actually seeing it. Um, there, I, I, I actually believe that there is um, a significant portion of Americans who have always thought like him, mm-hmm. but never dared to speak it out publicly. Mm-hmm. And that portion of America has found uh, a voice in him. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's, it's, it's a message of hatred, it's a message of uh, ignorance, and, and that would be my answer. He is, he's a racist, and quite frankly, I think that the people that are following him are a bunch of crazy, and they're still living in the, the era of the 1960s. Um, but it's interesting because I've always been a political buff and a history buff, and usually every year's usually, um, there's a change of power in political parties. Democrats are eight years, and a Republican administration will come in, or vice versa. But I actually think that now, with all this crazy talk that Donald Trump is expressing on the airwaves, mm-hmm. uh, the Democratic Party has a really, really good chance to win a third consecutive term. Um, and putting partisan politics aside, I mean, this isn't a nation of hate. You know, this nation was based on immigrants. As a matter of fact, Federico's first governor, Juan Ponce de Leon, who was a Spanish uh, conquistador, uh, before discovering Florida, he was governor of Puerto Rico. So, <laughs> quite frankly, a Spanish speaker discovered the mainland United States because Christopher Columbus only got to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. The first man, besides the Indians, who, who set foot on uh, on Florida, on the mainland United States, was Juan Ponce de Leon, and he actually embarked from Puerto Rico. So, all this talk about, you know, Hispanics need to go back where they came from, or Mexicans got to go back to where they, where they came from, you know, build this great wall between Mexico and the United States. Yeah. It's complete and utter ignorance, and it shows the, the lack of knowledge that they have of their own history. <laughs> I mean, a Spanish speaker discovered the mainland United States. So, I mean, he's just an ignorant person. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the, the, the nomination for the Republican Party. Uh, I, I honestly think that that party has been hijacked by racists, and um, the fact that he's ahead by double digits in all Republican Party polls uh, confirms that. And um, I, I think it's shameful and embarrassing to see Latinos or Puerto Ricans um, that are part of that party when, especially now, when the message is so divisive and, and racist. Uh, but, um, you know, I have confidence that uh, the American people will will look past that hate and uh, make the best decisions for the future of America and our future generations. Mm. What do you think of the, like, you know, there's, um, like, the media with CNN and especially Fox, they have so much emphasis on Donald Trump. It's like he's really taken over all the airwaves and it's almost like it's a sideshow because they're, the focus is not really on the situation at hand. It's more of, you know, it's like a, it's, it's like a, it's like the WWE. It's like, it's more of like, oh, what, what Donald Trump is going to say next. Oh, he said this about women and this, this and that. Um, do you feel that the news outlets are... Are, are are giving like a like they're not giving a um a honest take of the situation with the other parties. You know, I, I think that it's important for the news to cover um the type of things that he's saying. Uh, 
Yeah. Because, you know, and, and I include myself, you know, the, I used to think that that type of thinking um, was made by people back in the 60s and mm-hmm. that we were living in a more inclusive nation and that everything was done after the civil rights era. But, you know, when I moved here a year ago from Puerto Rico, I come to realize that, you know, the, that way of thinking is very much alive in America. It's just not as vocal. Mm-hmm. And the scary thing about Donald Trump is that these people who have been quiet for so many years have found a voice through him. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. And that's why he's playing into the media. Um, so even though I would agree that maybe it would be best for the media to ignore him or stop spreading hate, I think it's also important for the media to do their job and show America that, look, there's actually people who think this way. Um, and it's important for the future generations to see it, um, to correct it. Um, because, you know, we're not living in a hunky-dory, you know, perfect world. And, and, and you know, the American public and the world should know that there's actually people who still think this way who haven't learned to be um, disagreeable respectfully and um, that are full of hate um, towards people who have a different skin color or speak differently or speak with an accent. So, uh, you know, that's something I've confronted here in Florida, like, because, you know, I'm, I'm a Hispanic Caucasian, and um, people would say, well, you're Puerto Rican, you don't look Puerto Rican, you're, you're so white. And I'm like, well, what's a Puerto Rican supposed to look like? Yeah. And that's when I would go into a little bit of a history and say, hey, let me, let me explain to you, you know, Spaniards got Puerto Rico, they got it on with the Indians and the African slaves, and that's, that's where Puerto Ricans came from. So you got colors, different colors. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, I think it's something um, that um, should be taught in the public education system in the United States. And it's important for each and every one of us as Puerto Ricans here on the mainland to educate uh, mainstream America about the reality of Puerto Rico the unequal treatment of Puerto Rico. Uh, because at the end of the day, that their ignorance is not their fault. Uh, I strongly believe there's a system in the United States geared towards um, covering up that embarrassing chapter of American history uh, of when the United States invaded Puerto Rico, exploited it for corporate and military reasons, and to this very day denies the people of Puerto Rico the right to vote for president and the right to equal representation in Congress. It's totally contradicting of what the United States stands for. We were talking about a nation that preaches about freedom and democracy in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, they, they preach about that in 4th of July, that, you know, there's a nation of democracy, but hey, we have 3.5 million American citizens in Puerto Rico who can't vote for the president, who sends Puerto Ricans off to war. Um, and I think that the American people should know that. That's why I'm very, very happy um, to have... Um, seen the book that was published by Mr. Nelson Dennis. I believe that you interviewed him yeah. um, in one of the, the episodes of your show, and I commend you for that. So it's all about the education process, and that's what I'm trying to do with this interview as well. I think it's, it's important to talk about this issue on all, um, not only media, but in, in every every scenario that's available to, to educate the American people about Puerto Rico. 
Yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of young people who honestly won't watch CNN, they won't watch Fox, you know, there's a lot of different outlets, you know, that's relatable for them, so, you know, you know, that's why I gave you this outlet and this platform, so, you know, you can reach out to the youngsters out there, and, you know, hopefully they will want to get inspired, and, you know, they want to, like, learn more about it, because uh, there's so many things, like, Puerto Rico is such a fascinating place, and, you know, like, you know, like you said, people, we talked about it before we started recording, people go over there and just take go to the Bacardi factory, take a picture in front of that, or go to El Morro and just take a picture in front of the castle, but, you know, there's so much rich history here. When people come to New York here, they go to the Statue of Liberty, they'll check out the trade center, you know, there's, there's stuff they want to read about, but, you know, as, as a culture, when we go out to places, you know, we just want to take pictures and do selfies and, you know... That there's so much, you know, there's so much history out there that you know we definitely need to explore, and you know we're we dominate a large part of the population here in in the city and everywhere. Um, I want to get back to what you were talking about in Florida. You said you dealt with a lot of racism in Florida, but isn't there a lot of is a big Latino population in Florida as well, though? Even though it's considered the South. Yeah, yeah, in Florida, uh, there is a huge uh, and, and growing population of Puerto Ricans it surpassed one million wow. uh, by the end of last year. And uh, some have even projected that by the next uh, three to five years, the population of Puerto Ricans in Florida will actually surpass uh, the population of Puerto Ricans in New York. Um, wow. And that's as a result of uh, massive exodus of Puerto Ricans leaving the island of Puerto Rico because of its dire economic situation. And we also have uh, a huge uh, influx from uh, Puerto Ricans from New York who are leaving the cold or deciding to retire in Florida. So uh, that has created this huge political force in the I-4 corridor in Central Florida where the majority of the Puerto Rican population is concentrated. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe that within the next year or two, the Puerto Rican population of Florida will also surpass the Cuban population. Wow. Uh, which is mostly concentrated in Miami. So what's been interesting is that, and the reason I mentioned the word discrimination is because, you know, Florida is obviously the South, and the South has history yeah. <laughs> in terms of violation of civil rights and whatnot. And, and, and to this very day, you can still see that. I mean, in Orange County, and I can tell you, I was a victim of the system. Mm-hmm. In Orange County, Central Florida, mm-hmm. which is the county where Orlando, the city where Orlando is situated, yeah. Over 75% of inmates or people arrested are either Hispanic or African American. Wow. And the reason that's happening is because um, there's uh, a broken social system in Florida. Um, there are even those who have theories that there's a pipeline, uh, theoretically speaking, between the education system directly to prison. And this is something that President Obama has talked about um, through his proposed uh, prison reform. Um, there's uh, a huge population of African Americans who um, have been incarcerated for for um, for crimes in which they were sentenced uh, excessive. Uh, they were they were given uh, excessive sentences. And Florida is one of the few states in the nation where if you commit a felony. And uh, you serve your time. You get out, you serve your time, doesn't matter because you will no longer be able to vote for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life? Even if you serve your time. Even if you serve your time. Um, so 
there are those who argue and um, present the theory that um, the African population, the African American population who has been incarcerated and have been convicted of felonies uh, are stripped of their right to vote because that would um, lower the percentage of African Americans voting in the broad election. And uh, another uh, piece of data that's, that's, for me, very alarming is the fact that if you look at the inmate statistics in Central Florida and Orange County, mm -hmm. they divide inmates by white, African-American, Asian, but there's no Hispanic call. Mm. You know why? Why? Because they count Hispanics under the white call. Mm -hmm. And they do that so it wouldn't be so obvious is, uh, in terms of African-Americans and Hispanics being the majority of the people that they arrest and, and are incarcerated. So the, the, if you look at the statistics, um, since, since Hispanics are counted under the white column, so the percentage is diluted from 75% minority, it's like 48 or something, it's pretty much even up between whites and, and blacks. But if you count the Hispanics that are under the white column, under obviously Hispanic names, you come to um, the reality that over 75% are minorities. Um, and there's been multiple studies, especially in Tampa and other areas, where the majority of police interventions um, have been with African-Americans or Latinos. So it's quite an alarming situation. Um, the fact that there's such a huge influx of Latinos in Florida along with the African-American um, population. Um, the conservative party, which is the Republican Party, um, is quite alarmed because, you know, it's, it's, it's come to a reality in, in our nation where you cannot win a national election for the presidency of the United States if you do not have the Hispanic vote. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a reality. I mean, if you don't believe that, ask Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney only received 21% of the Hispanic vote and he lost. Mm. John McCain only received less 22% of the Hispanic vote and he lost. So the Hispanic vote is very powerful um, and it's decisive, especially in a battleground state like Florida. Wow, I never even realized that about, you know, mm -hmm. all that. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, Are you going to reside in Florida all your life or are you, are you considering ever moving or home, Florida is going to be your home, your home, home surf? Who knows? Who knows? You know, there's a huge Puerto Rican population here. I feel at home yeah. here in Florida. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I've always been a city guy. Um, it's taken <laughs> me a year to get used to Florida, but um, wow. you know, I, live, I live in D.C. Um, I have a lot of friends in New York, so um, who knows? You know, it would be a decision I'd have to take with, um, with my family. And um, as soon as I graduate from law school, I'll see, uh, I'll take it from there. But um, I, I, I seriously Can you talk a little bit about your documentary? I just finished watching it now, and it was it was it, it was a sh really short documentary, but it was really informative and really amazing. Could you talk a little bit about it? Well, um, I appreciate that. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, but that, that, that documentary um, resulted after me watching President Obama's speech at Selma, mm -hmm. um, which was I don't know if you had a chance to see it. It was a great speech. Um, where he, you know, he talked about the civil rights movement and uh, what happened in Selma and about the people who rose and fought for their rights uh, 
thoughts with the, with the speech, but at the same time, I was I was angry um, because the president was talking about, you know, the right to vote is so precious, and he went on in the speech to criticize people who don't go out to vote. Um, but the fact of the matter is that in Puerto Rico, it's not that we don't go out to vote, it's just that we can't go out to vote. And that just really, really made me angry and pissed me off. And I, I remember like scratching my head, like furious, and, and asking myself, how can I bring this message? Um, how can I educate people? How can I make a difference? So I just went on my laptop and um, used some software I had about, you know, with, we're making movies and I put together a documentary. It actually took me two days. Um, but during the process, um, there was a lot of emotions involved. Um, everything, you know, yeah, from my childhood, um, um, from what my mother taught me about my heritage as a Puerto Rican. Um, uh, during the process, uh, I also had flashbacks of my grandfather, who, who is an independentista, who believes in independence for Puerto Rico and how he taught me. Yeah. Um, when I arrived to the island, having been raised in the United States, not knowing anything about Puerto Rican culture, how he taught me about the importance of being proud of who you are, being proud of your identity as a Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that I put into the video. And I think that you can see that in the video, um, especially at the end. So uh, I think that I, I put it into perspective um, and, and creating an educational piece that, that can be shared and mainstream online. And, I, and right now it has 39,000 views on Facebook and it's pretty much spread like wildfire. It's been on BuzzFeed, um, other media outlets, and um, I just hope more people see it. And I thank you for sharing it. I, I saw you on your, your Facebook as you shared it, and I think that we have to spread it as much as possible because everything happens for a reason, you know. It, it, it took me to watch the president's speech and get mad. Um, not because I have anything against the president. I actually supported him, but, um, you know, the fact that Puerto Ricans can't vote to this very day is something that, that needs to change. You know, we can't be preaching about democracy worldwide. Um, I actually testified in the United Nations in New York. I was there uh, a couple of months ago yeah. um, where I spoke about that. And, and I think that we have to continue to, to bring the message. Yeah, I'm saying that's crazy. Like I honestly thought Puerto Ricans who live in Puerto Rico could vote. I I had no idea. I you know I was ignorant to that. Yeah. To be honest with you, I had no idea. Yeah, so they can vote in the primary. Yeah. Um, like the Democratic Party primary, the Republican Party primary, but um, in the general election they cannot vote. Um, we have one member of Congress who can speak on the floor of the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So he can basically stand up, raise hell, and speeches on the floor of the house, but he can't vote. Like the other congressmen, like Jose Durano, New York, Ricotierre, um, Illinois, they can speak on the floor and they can vote. Yeah. Um, but Rico doesn't have that. Um, it's, a, it's the modern day civil rights issue. And it's something that has to um, be acknowledged. It has to be attended. We're in the year 2015. And um, a lot of people don't pay attention to this or just brush it off. Yeah.
Yeah, I know there's, I'm saying there's, there's a lot of stuff that I definitely want to research and definitely I want to look into, but um, I think that's, that's you know, you hit the nail on the head, like something really needs to be done about this, you know, and it's just, you know, I, it's, it, it, it's fascinating to me because, you know, you know, you assume, like, people assume all this stuff, but, you know, if you really don't investigate and go into details, there's, like, so many different things you find out about stuff, you know, especially the population of Puerto Rico and what Puerto Rico's been used for and, you know, the, use our, the resources over there. There's so many things Puerto Rico contributes to the United States, and, you know, I feel bad for the people that are living there sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And I'm going to be really honest with you, when, when I lived in Puerto Rico, uh, I was a strong follower of the pro-statehood party. I even worked under the administration there. Oh, yeah? Um, from 2009 to 2012, I worked with the Secretary of State, Kenneth McClintock, who was a great man. Um, and adding to that, Mr. Kenneth McClintock was one of the very few people on the island who actually genuinely believes in statehood. Um, the statehood party on the island, which obviously advocates for Puerto Rico becoming the 51st state, um, I would say that around 95 to 97 percent of its leaders don't care about Puerto Rico becoming a state. Uh, there's a lot of uh, government contracts involved. Um, there's a lot of uh, you know people who, who you know, quite frankly, are incompetent. Um, and the least that they care about is solving Puerto Rico's political status. Uh, I believe that maybe with one or two hands you can count leadership there that actually believes in it, but they, uh, many of them utilize the statehood discourse to get into power. Um, and, you know, both political power parties on the island um, have been involved in corruption. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite sad. Um, but there's also a shared responsibility with the United States government who has failed to provide the people of Puerto Rico with a federal endorsed self-determination process where the people of Puerto Rico can ultimately decide once and for all um, their relationship with the United States. As a result of that, um, during the administration that I worked for um, under Governor Lee Fortuna, there was a local referendum which is not sponsored by the by Congress, and 54% um, of the people of Puerto Rico rejected the territorial status. So. 54% of the people, the majority, voted that they want to change. Um, and unfortunately, Washington hasn't done anything. So, um, and they're not going to do anything, especially under this Republican Congress, which is, quite frankly, extremist. And Donald Trump saying all the stuff that he's saying is even worse. Yeah. Um, if they're talking that about, if they're, if, you know, if they're talking about um, about Mexicans that way. Well, what do you think they're going to think about Puerto Rico becoming a state? It's not going to happen under their, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, I'm a law school student, there's laws, and laws, you know, obviously, law is the law, but unless you speak up and apply pressure for its enforcement, um, sometimes it won't happen. You know, and this is a right that Puerto Ricans have to massively get up and fight for it. And if they don't get up and fight for it, it's not going to happen. And they have to get up and fight for it, not on the island, because unfortunately, you can do all the protests, all the parades, all the marches on the island, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen, because as you and I know, 
no news coverage from the island, rarely, you know. News coverage of the island rarely gets to the mainland United States. Um, yeah. It has to be a movement that that grows and develops here on the mainland, yeah. uh, where the power is. And only that way is that Puerto Rico is going to reach uh, equality. Um, I was going to ask you this. I'm not sure if you're familiar with our mayor in New York City, but what do you think of um, de Blasio? What's your take on him? Well, uh, I, I honestly um, don't live in New York, um, but I, I do, I'm, I'm an avid reader. Um, I do see that he's been very engaged with the Puerto Rican population. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't dare to um, get into New York politics because, quite frankly, um, just as you uh, don't know or have much experience in regards to the political situation in, in Puerto Rico, um, I wouldn't um, want to venture in, into yeah. that. Um, but from what, I, what I've read and what I've seen um, with his engagement with the Puerto Rican population, um, you know, he, he's from the same um, party I follow here in the mainland United States. So yeah. um, I, I quite, quite frankly, I, I haven't... Um, Maybe that's something that you can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on him. Like, what do you think? But if you really don't know about it, then I, I, I totally get it. You know what I'm saying? Because I know what I'm saying. There's, there's a lot of things that are going on in, in the city, but we could get that. We could get into yeah. that another time. Um, talking yeah, about five more the good and the bad, and um, but you know, I think that ultimately that's a decision um, that New Yorkers would would have to decide terms of um, approval of, of his um, you know uh, of his work as, as um, mayor of the city all right. Um, before I and, let you uh, go, um, I want you to talk a little bit about Latino rebels and your comments for that. Can you tell the people a little bit about that? Yeah, I had the opportunity. I was uh, contacted by Mr. Um, Julio Barrera, mm-hmm. who is um, the creator of that website. And um, we have a group of us who frequently write on uh, LatinoRebels.com. Okay. And it's basically, you know, um, young professional Latinos across the entire United States write uh, articles um, on that website about um, situations that are going on and uh, current events. And um, I've had the opportunity to write uh, various pieces, and you can go online on LatinoRebels.com and and um, look at the pieces that I've written about Puerto Rico, and uh, not only Puerto Rico, but the Latino vote in general. And I think that's what more Latinos have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to get into mainstream uh, social media, mainstream national media, and uh, bring our message there. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, our message will not get relayed, relayed until we use the proper mechanisms. And um, it's been very, very effective. I mean, it has thousands of uh, followers. Um, uh, LatinoRebels.com has a national uh, recognition and national following. Um, the creator, uh, Julito Arena, who's a good friend of mine, he is actually from Harvard. Uh, he went to school at Harvard and um, very respected among uh, the media community. And um, I, I urge you as well, as you know, as an uh, online journalist, to, to look into the possibility of, uh, of electric right, you can, you can do that as well. Um, but it's important, my message to all young Hispanics out there who are listening, you know, it's time for us to stand up and fight, you know. And, and I'm not talking about fight physically, I'm talking about fight with our minds. It, it's important to uh, get rid of ignorance. Um, we are a force to be recognized, recognized with politically here in the mainland United States. 
election in America without the Hispanic vote anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in states like Florida, uh, in, in the Midwest, um, you know, Florida is huge. And, um, but, you know, with the increase of the Hispanic um, population, uh, the sky's the limit. So uh, I would urge all those young Hispanics out there to get involved in the political process, to to get to get educated and um, make a difference in this society. And I think it's important to stand up for our people and ultimately for our future generations as well. Yes, you're absolutely right on that. Um, Philip, um, promote your social media, promote any pages or anything, like if um, people want to reach out to you. Yeah, uh, we actually have a website. It's um, www.prvotenow.us. That's basically a website um, geared towards um, advocating for Puerto Rico, um, getting equal rights under the American flag, specifically the right to vote for President of the United States. And uh, we can find us on, on uh, Facebook as well, uh, the Coalition for the Presidential Vote in Puerto Rico. And it has nothing to do with the local political parties on the island. We strictly fight for civil rights for the people of Puerto Rico who to this very day can't vote for President of the United States and to not have equal representation um, in U.S. Congress. Um, and it's important to, to, you know, to keep educating the American people about this. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that the U.S. has exploited Puerto Rico corporately. Uh, Puerto Rico was used as a tax haven for... American pharmaceuticals, uh, and, and all their factories were based in Puerto Rico. You know why? Why? Because they wouldn't have to pay manufacturing taxes. Hmm. If they had those factories on the mainland U.S., they would have to pay manufacturing tax. Under Section 936 of the U.S. Revenue, Revenue Code, and especially in the 90s, um, those American pharmaceutical companies did not have to pay that tax. So here, where we, and obviously they would base their factories on the island to gain that tax um, benefit and in exchange uh, for the promise of creating jobs. Um, and obviously those corporations would create jobs, but not the quantity of jobs that you would expect from a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical. So at the end of the day, what you would see is continued poverty in the island to this very day at the expense uh, of corporations who were making themselves richer. And then that's the corporate side. And then the military side. Puerto Rico, let's be honest, Puerto Rico has been a U.S. territory, especially during the Cold War. Puerto Rico's um, sole interest, excuse me, the United States' sole interest in Puerto Rico was because of its military location, which was next to Cuba. Mm-hmm. We all know that during the Cold War, uh, Puerto Rico was used uh, by the U.S. to keep an eye on Cuba. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just disgusting for me to see that now that Cuba has been opened up and the embargo has been lifted. Yeah. And now the U.S. is like, well, we don't need Puerto Rico anymore. Well, you guys have an economic situation. That's not our problem. Mm-hmm. You know, after they exploited the island for corporate reasons and after they exploited it for military reasons, now they're like, well, Puerto Rico, you're on your own. You know, that's what strikes so much anger in me. And has caused me to get up and fight for for Puerto Rico because um, at the end of the day, it's time for the United States to practice what they preach, and it's time for the people of Puerto Rico to have equal rights under the American flag. Um, because people have died for this. Okay, we're talking about 
thousands of Puerto Rican soldiers who have died in U.S. wars and who can never vote for their commander in chief. Mm. And I think that's a story that the American people should know. And uh, without a doubt, the time is now. Um, but one of the most frustrating moments in my life, and this is what caused me to separate myself from the Puerto Rico, uh, political process in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. When I was working in the White House in 2012, obviously I was living in Puerto Rico and I, I was selected to work in the White House for the summer of 2012. Yeah. So I remember the Vice President telling me, well, the people of Puerto Rico have to decide. And they did. In November of 2012, six months after I left um, the internship, people of Puerto Rico voted against the status quo and and the majority voted for equal rights. Um, but then I remember receiving emails and calls from friends I had developed at the White House. And they told me, Phil, you guys won the referendum on the island. Where is the political leadership of Puerto Rico? They're not here. And what happened was is that the statehood party, which is the party that I used, I used to work for, Mm -hmm. uh, under their administration when they were in power. Although statehood won the referendum, the political party lost the general election. So the candidate for governor lost, although statehood won in the referendum. You follow me? Yeah. Um, so what happened was is that all those statehood leaders from the statehood party who were advocating for equal rights for Puerto Rico, even though statehood had won, but the governor had lost, they had lost the election, the general election. They gave up. There was nobody in Washington lobbying. Um, it's like, well, we lost the election. Screw statehood. All they wanted was the government contracts. Everybody gave up. There was only one person actually lobbying in Washington for equal rights for Puerto Rico, and that was Kenneth McClintock um, and other leaders. And, and, and at that moment, I realized that that was the moment that I realized that Puerto Rico's political solution was not going to be born in Puerto Rico. And I'm strongly convinced that Puerto Rico's resolution in terms of its political dilemma with the United States will rise here in the mainland. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, the island is in a deep economic recession. Um, there's extreme political divide on the island, and even those who do advocate for equality have other interests behind the scenes. And it's time for the people of Puerto Rico who live on the mainland United States to save Puerto Rico from colonialism mm -hmm. and to save Puerto Rico from the politicians who, from both sides of the aisle, are in corruption. And um, that's the message that we have to continue to spread in the United States and to activate the Puerto Ricans who live on the mainland. You, you said it yourself, like, we just definitely have to do something about that. Um, is there any um, things that you could recommend people, like, watch or people could read about that people could, you know, get knowledge about it? I would invite people to look at my documentary, mm -hmm. read uh, Nelson Dennis's book, um, and, you know, there's, there's various uh, online resources. Um, you can just Google Puerto Rico's political status. Um, and there are a lot of books as well on, on the issue. Um, but 
Puerto Rico's political situation has yet to be written. Wow. Okay. That book will be written by our next generation, this generation. Yeah. Um, so there's various political, you know, perspectives, there's various viewpoints, everybody has an opinion, and you and I know as Puerto Ricans that this is an issue that divides us. Um, people who support statehood, people who don't, people who support independence. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, to, to get rid of that division, to, to unite the people of Puerto Rico, it's time to this generation, our generation, to write that new chapter, to write that book, that book that will unify the people of Puerto Rico. And I'm convinced that that book will be written here in the mainland by the majority of Puerto Ricans who live here in the mainland will apply the political pressure um, that will happen here in the mainland and to get this issue done, which is long overdue, and to ultimately get equality for the people of Puerto Rico. Philip, thank you so much, man. You definitely enlightened me. I'm sure you definitely enlightened a lot of people out there. And um, I look forward to reading your stuff. And um, hopefully, in the, you know, not this generation, probably the next generation, we'll probably see results. You know, hopefully everything will be okay. Yep, God willing. And I, I want to thank you for having me on the show. And uh, God speed. Uh, I know you're doing a good job. I love you. I'm listening to your, to your interviews. And um, I wish you the best on your show. I appreciate that, Philip, man. Um, we definitely got to help each other out. We definitely, you know, you know, um, knowledge is power. And, you know, the more we know, the more we can do. And um, thank you. And I just hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one.